Hello, everyone. This is Steve Douglas, and I'm here with Marshall Bolin, and you're listening to In Good Will. This is a conversation between a progressive and a conservative. Marshall's are progressive. I'm our conservative. And we are having conversations about life and faith and um, how we do things in the world. And um, we're, we're trying to get to a place where we can model good, healthy, nonviolent uh, conversations yeah. for the betterment of our world. Yeah, indeed. Okay, so this is our second episode uh, on sexual ethics. This is going to be a part two. We had more to discuss, and we thought it was worth two episodes at least. So um, I can start off with a question related to that for you, Steve. So Great. what I'm hoping to do is to move this conversation from the level of positions to the level of needs. And since I feel passionately about the needs of people who are LGBT, I'm wondering if you are able to hear the human needs behind some of the political statements that are coming from the movement for LGBT rights. And I can make that question more specific if you want, but if you... Yeah, please, go, go ahead and, and do that, okay. because I think there's a lot in there. Yeah. Um, I guess we could take a look at, like, what is one political objective that is in service of LGBT rights that you are uneasy about? So, yeah, I think there's almost two questions in there. So yeah. one is, can I appreciate the needs that are behind the political sentiments? That'll be question, that'll be part two. And part okay. one is, let's pick one that, let's pick a, a, a political objective or a political movement that you're uneasy about. And sure. then let's see if, you can hear the needs behind it in a way that I respond okay. by saying, oh yeah, okay, I feel like you do understand the needs at least. Yeah. So there are some things that make me uncomfortable um, as, a, as a believing Christian. Um, so the, the movement toward the, not just acceptance of, but embrace of all forms of sexuality, um, and, and when those are generally framed, there tends to be a, oh no, we don't mean this, we only mean this, we're, we're only going to take a step, and then the step changes, and the step changes, and the step changes, so it keeps moving, Yeah. and so many conservatives go like, I'm not even willing to have a conversation about the steps, we're just going to say no and dig in at the very beginning because we know where this is heading. And, um, and so there's a discomfort with, I'll just dig in there. There's, you have a gay pride rally mm -hmm. and we can understand the felt needs underneath that. But then you've got people who are marching naked, um, or are wearing sexualized outfits, um, or are being really blatant with expressions of sexuality out in public. Yeah that makes a lot of conservatives more than a little uncomfortable um, and, and can even sometimes make them pretty angry that, you know, because we wouldn't say, hey, there's a straight rally today and we're going to see a, you know, 
massive expression of heterosexual sex happening or, you know, uh, nudity. And although I suppose you go to some place like uh, Mardi Gras down in (laughs) New Orleans and you're going to see, or spring break, right? Um, That's a nuance that I think is worth mentioning that from my observations, it does seem like the conservatives that I've known would be equally uncomfortable with a display of um, straight sex, a, a celebration of straight sex, or even married sex, probably. Like if you had a a, a rally in the park that was highly uh, sexualized and, you know, here's my wedding lingerie that I used or something like that. I could imagine the, my conservative friends being uncomfortable with that. So yeah. It um, would be just as cringy for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so I think that's an interesting nuance. I don't know where it leads, but it it does seem to say that, uh, at least in this one little area, it's not necessarily uh, personal against LGBT sexuality. It's a, a discomfort with a display of sexuality, period. Yeah, and I publicly. think that's... And that's that whole matter versus manner thing again, mm-hmm. is how do we go about that? Um, I, I think there's a certainly, I, I think many conservatives can say, oh, I, I understand the felt needs. I understand the desire for the march and for just saying, hey, um, we want to be equal people too. Yeah. Totally get that. Um, how we do that and how we push that is is just as important and can create you create sort of political and cultural enemies when you push it so far i understand that yeah is there is there an image you have in your mind of a a political rally a theoretical way of approaching a, the- the- um, a political rally for gay rights that you would be more uh, receptive to and you wouldn't cringe at the hypersexuality element of it. Yeah, I mean, if you, I mean, if you had some, a, a rally or a, you know, a, a parade that was going by and you had flags and you had, you know, people saying, hey, we're here, we live in this area, you know, and we care about our neighborhoods and we, you know, we care about our neighbors, Um, you know, and sometimes that's happening at those rallies and that's great. Um, Yeah, it's it's the manner thing. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I I can't say that that fully represents all political spectrum for LGBT rights or anything like that. Uh, And I'm I'm not trying to paint it with such a broad brush. I just, uh, you you mentioned what would make me uncomfortable. Um, And I think another thing that would make me uncomfortable is, you know, some of the things related to Title IX um, politically of okay, we need to change our bathrooms and we need to change our schools and we need to force, you know, the sharing of um, uh, locker rooms and things like that between biological males and females. And so there's, there's just an acceptance of sexual expression that goes on in that that many conservatives are not comfortable with at all. And yeah. don't want to expose their children to. And so there's this picture that I remember seeing 
um, that that sort of encapsulates this in my mind. It's this this mother and daughter um, at a at a gay pride rally, and uh, a nude man um, who's got a big target painted around his private regions um, is leaning over to give her a lollipop, the, the little girl, and she's okay. probably three or four years old. And like the mother's kind of brought her over for this purpose, you know? Yeah. And I, I just think that that sort of expression um, is not appropriate for children. Uh, they, she doesn't need to see uh, an adult male nude. Yeah. She doesn't need to see expressions of sexuality in order for her mom to say, hey, I want you to be tolerant and accepting of the gay community. Yeah, I'm, I'm open to improvement in, in that area. Like, uh, I don't really, I don't have a fleshed out theory about how much sexuality is healthy for young children to know about and experience. So um, I don't have any personal hard no's or hard yeses when it comes to that. Um, so I get it. Yeah. I mean, to me, that makes sense that maybe there is uh, a level of sexuality that it would be best not exposing young kids to. And maybe we should think about that if we have uh, some kind of display in a public area. And so I guess I would want to pose a similar question back is um, when conservatives do balk at that or when there seem to be these political fights that are happening back and forth, are you able to see the felt needs for conservatives in, in that expression? Yeah. Well, I'd like to explore it with you because I feel like in some ways I'm not hearing them as clearly as I could. So yeah, based on what you've said, um, Okay, I hear concern for children and their development as one strong need. So yes, I hear that and I care about that and I validate that. And uh, yeah, you can correct me if I, have, if I don't have this right, but I think I hear a concern that normalizing certain types of behavior that are not in line with your relig religious tenets that normalizing behavior is going to lead people into uh, harmful situations for themselves and for society as a whole. And so you are concerned about the direction that society goes. That's, that's important to you. It concerns your highest values. So part of that, I think I'm hearing is you don't want to be pulled in a direction that violates your values. And you're concerned that society as a whole might come to be more or less founded on values that you think are going to be destructive for everyone in society. Yes. So that, I think that does kind of give a good perspective, you know, of, of our concerns. And I think in part, maybe to put a, a finer head on it is um, that conservatives in general, and Christians in particular are concerned about the family unit. Yeah, um, yeah. That they view, that we view the family unit as the foundational block of society. 
and that society is built on these families and their healthy function. Mm -hmm. And so sexuality that breaks from that or is destructive to it, um, we would view as in some ways possibly harmful for society in general because it breaks down that foundational unit, that foundational building block. Yeah, okay, I get it. I hear that you're concerned for society, for all of us. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for being concerned. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that the same needs are underlying both sides of that friction there. So somebody who says, I would like to adapt our definition of marriage so that it includes any two people who want to be committed to each other based on love. Um, I, I hear behind that, and I mean, that's my view, so I can speak from my own subjectivity, that I'm concerned if society prohibits that because I want society to be a place where there's flexibility to grow as we come to understand ourselves as human beings in different situations that weren't possible or, you know, less likely in the past. Um, I want there to be creativity and flexibility for people to express love um, with a big L as well as a little L in, in the way that is most in line with their values. And so I'm concerned for society if there are blockages to that. And I can appreciate that. Um, you know, I, I, I get that. You know, I, I think a, a, a general conservative response to that, and I, and I know we're not, we don't really want to get into big debate modes, but... You Actually, know, just, yeah, would you consider just avoiding that debate right now? Because I would like to, I, I would like to bask in the, just understanding the needs, whether you agree with okay. the philosophy behind it. Okay. Yeah. I, I can definitely appreciate those needs. Um, yeah. And I don't need you to agree. Okay. You, you are free to have whatever philosophy <laughs> you have. Sure. But I just want to be heard for the, the needs yeah. that I'm concerned about. And, and I definitely hear them and Thank I you. definitely yeah. can understand those needs. Totally. Thank you. Yeah. And the, this is where I think the, the solutions can emerge more effectively from is when I'm able to say this, these are the needs that I hear of yours and you're saying the same thing back to me. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, if we're going to find a viable solution that doesn't lead to further division and anger, um, there, there has to be a place where we hear each other's needs and, and at least acknowledge them. Yeah. When I'm working with somebody who has connected with my needs and I, I've felt that they appreciate that and that they're curious about my needs and they care about me getting my needs met, then I feel more uh, willing to be vulnerable and to be flexible and to extend myself more than before because I, I can trust that my needs are being looked out for. Yeah, And I, I would like to offer that to whoever's on the other side of a discussion, in this case, Christian conservatives. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that we agree on everything. And it doesn't mean that we're going to 
maybe desire to land in the in the perfectly same place no we we don't need to there's room for you and i to have our philosophy that's and and for us to each have our uh strategies in mind that we think is going to be best yeah Um, as long as we found the whole project on getting yours and my needs met as fully as we can is trying to come up with the best solutions we can that meet our needs as fully as possible and my mind does tend to run to the you know like hey we've got this ideal but you know sure, there yeah. are these there are these things that are going to be challenging that will get in the way of that and and some of those are pretty big things so in the last episode we talked a little bit about presuppositions yeah. and so us coming at things from different presuppositions um, may mean that like I can acknowledge that need. You can acknowledge my need. Um, and yet I'm not sure how far I can give. Sure. And, and I can and respect I, that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think on both sides, there's going to be that feeling of, I, I don't know how much I can give because I hold these things uh, as really important. I, I hold a biblical Christian sexual ethic as really, really important. And there are a whole number of different things um, that aren't specifically LGBT or progressive or whatnot that don't fit into that, right? Mm -hmm. And yet at the same time, I can acknowledge the need on the other side and say, how can I still approach the conversation? How can I still connect with you, hear your needs, respect you, care for you, I don't know how far I can work with you uh, to get there um, because there are some limiting factors for me. Right. Um, Which is part of the challenge. It's, it's a real challenge for us. It is. And there are tragic situations in life where both people are going to be left with unmet needs in uh, even given the best solution that they could come up with to try to meet each other's needs. People are going to be left with unmet needs. And it helps me to, in those situations, to trust that the other person does want to work for the, the best possible scenario in terms of us both getting our needs met, instead of uh, trying to persuade me to uh, think of my needs as not needs or to think of myself as invalid or wrong or selfish or evil or something like that. When I can tell that the other person is, is sad when we, when we can't come up with a good solution to meet both of our needs, that goes a long way. Yeah. And that actually fits my definition of what a warrior is. I think a warrior is somebody who tries as hard as possible to avoid violence and to avoid um, using violence and coercing, coercing somebody else. And they even try really hard to protect their enemies from harm. And when they decide to resort to force, they feel conflicted about it and they feel sad about it. And so that applies to physical violence and I think it applies to conversational interactions. Um, if I, if we, if you and I can't come up with a solution to this, I'm going to be very sad and yeah. not just because of my needs and those I love with, but because of your needs also. Yeah, 
And and I agree. Yeah, I really like that way of thinking about being a warrior because I think in our society, what we've trained ourselves to be are people who relish in other people's loss. Yes. You know? Yes. So in order for us to win, somebody else has to lose. Yeah. That we can't work toward a solution together or compromise. That we always have to go for the furthest possible uh, ideal. Yeah. I remember learning that at a really early age. I remember playing with one of my best friends and we were used to playing board games and stuff where really one person's gain is another person's loss. And I don't even remember the situation, but it was some situation where like, it was just going to be me losing out on something where like, uh, I'm remembering it had to do with Halloween or something. And, and if we took a particular course of action, I would lose some of my candy, something like that. And I remember my friend being like, okay, let's do that. Like all excited as if he believed that he would gain somehow just from me losing. It's not that he was going to wind up with the candy, but that just, I would lose. And I've remembered that my whole life. And I'm, I think I'm a cool kid for being able to question that at the time, but maybe anybody would question that. But yeah, I'm just pointing out, I think it's really ingrained in us that my gain is your loss. I, I, I'm not a good board game player. Um, <laughs> my wife would say that. Um, she's very competitive um, and she feels I'm not competitive. I, mm -hmm. I'm competitive, but I also am sort of principled about it. And yeah. so like, I kind of go, I'm willing to help them up to a point. Like I'm willing yeah. to help the other players up to a point, you know, yeah. and if we can make it mutually beneficial to a point uh, where there's a sort of agreed upon point. So I'm not going around looking to backstab or only yeah. get what I want at everybody else's expense. And sometimes Jenny goes like, but those are the rules, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's what you're supposed to do. I'm like, yeah. well, then maybe I don't like that game. I don't know. Yeah. But, um... I, I'm the same <laughs> way. I, I hate those uh, aspects of games where you do backstab somebody and I always avoid using them. But if somebody uses them on me, then I say, all right, well, I guess that's the game we're playing and I will resort right. to using that. But right. I don't like that experience of, saying, ooh, now I'm uh, going to make it harder for you. Yeah. In a board game, in certain other situations that can have more of an immediate relevance, I'm thinking of, I don't know, like fencing or boxing or something like that, where you really are both training each other for being prepared for future situations where somebody is going to try to backstab you. And so it's mm -hmm. the, the benefit is not, oh, I get to backstab you, but I'm actually preparing you for eventualities that will keep you safe in the future. Yeah. So, okay. At this point in our conversation, um, I do feel cared in a, for by you. And I do feel like you uh, care about my needs and that you will be sad if we can't find a solution that meets both of our needs. Yeah. And so I'm feeling ready to brainstorm uh, potential solutions now that we've built this foundation of we care about each other. We don't want to coerce each other. And I'd like to talk about this idea of the definition of marriage. Mm. So I, I do understand 
I'm, I'm thinking of my Catholic friends, and I, I think you have a lot of overlap here. That one reason that the definition of marriage between a man and a woman is important to them is because they like how the physical reproduction is tied up in our ideas about marriage. That when you uh, come together with another person, uh, with, your, with your spouse who's of a different sex, a part of the result of that is humanity continues and, and you have children together. And for my Catholic friends, and you can tell me if you're in the same boat, uh, they, that just doesn't even really move them at all to think of marriage without that component. And I think maybe sometimes my Catholic brothers and sisters are too focused on the reproductive element as, you know, that it's the only purpose for sexuality. Uh, some in in some cases, I've heard that advocated. Um, not all Catholics yeah. feel that way, but um, I would say for Christians in general, whether Catholic or Protestant, it is extremely theological. And so I've, I've mentioned in the past the the concept of God creating humanity for a relationship with Him, and to be His image bearers. And so the idea is that. Uh, he has created us to be sort of co-creators with him or creators after him. And that's really where that word procreation comes from. Mm -hmm. And so um, we're, we're, we're creating forward into the next generation as this role of being image bearers of God into the world. So it's ex extremely theological. You can't separate the one from the other. And, the purpose of marriage being to exhibit God's creation, but also uh, what we're told in the New Testament is that marriage is supposed to be a representation of Jesus and his church. And so the way that Jesus cares for his church, it's not just about sex. It's about uh, how does one uh, you know, spouse serve the other spouse? How do we show love and affection and care and admiration for each other, love and respect? And, um, and then what does that generate out into the world through the family? So the whole perspective of Christian marriage is that we're imaging something that God is doing in the world through families. And so procreation is a part of that. It's not the only thing, but right. it is a, it's a big part of it. Yeah. Yeah. So I hear that you have convictions mm -hmm. about your religion and these are all connected to some of your most deeply held values. And when those values are threatened, um, you want to do something about that. Um. And, and I just be careful when I say do something about that. Like I would say, I'd like to convince others of the reality of those claims. Um, sure. That I would say, hey, let's look at how things are born out consistently into the world. Uh, you know, in, in one sense, literally, um, mm -hmm. but, but also figuratively. And is this a better thing and a better human good than what we would create on our own uh, in, in changing that concept and moving away from that concept. Yeah. So I, 
I like it when there's space for somebody to have these convictions and space for somebody to uh, try to convince me to adopt those convictions. I am not passionate about changing the definition that somebody uses in their church, but I am passionate about it being broadened in the legal secular sense for the same reason that I think it's a good idea that we decided on separation of church and state. To me, when I first heard about the, um, the friction, the, the reaction against changing the legal definition of marriage, my reaction was, why don't, we take, why don't we take the philosophical element out of it entirely because we've got a bunch of different kinds of people living in this country with a bunch of different kinds of views and approaches that are all important to them. And why don't we say um, each person is eligible under the law to pick one buddy, one partner, if you want to uh, get the benefits, you know, the, the tax implications and all that stuff for a marriage, for some kind of partnership. And so everyone is able to come to the table saying, uh, having their own beliefs about what constitutes uh, a marriage a legitimate marriage, whether it's in God's eyes or in your own eyes or whatever. Um, but in order to avoid the friction, why don't we just say one person gets, every person can have one partner and it doesn't even have to be a, a romantic relationship. You could choose your buddy and say, Hey, um, Steve and I are partnering up under the law to have uh, a certain amount of tax benefits. And I wonder even to go one more step and say, why don't we do away with the tax benefits? Yeah, I'm up for that too. That works for me. For Christians, it's not, a, it's not supposed to be about that. Yeah. It's really supposed to be about this image-bearing reality. I don't really care about the tax benefits one way or the other. Um, I don't think people should feel like they need to cohabit uh, and, and, and file single, you know, or, or they, they choose, like, we're going to choose our lifestyle based on a tax law. Right. Like, there, there's yeah. something wrong there. There's some, something's off kilter. Um, and, and so then we're being strategic based on financial realities when we're talking about expressions of love and um, bigger concepts. I'm personally down for that, to remove it. And the, the major negative reaction I've had to the situation and my LGBT friends and family is that the way it was currently was discriminating. It, it was saying you can only have these uh, tax benefits and the legal ramifications of marriage if you adopt a certain perspective on marriage, which is that it's got to be a male and a female. And now we're getting into the territory of like, hey, this, uh, this pastor is teaching a class at my public high school. That, that's how we felt about the whole thing. Mm -hmm. I should say a pastor is teaching a Bible class or something, you know, like whatever we would say is probably a good call in terms of separating church and state. I have felt like that boundary has been crossed in this argument about what constitutes a legal marriage. So, yeah. And, and I mean, as a conservative, I'd say, Hey, we had the definition first, <laughs> you, know, mm -hmm. but, you know, that that's not necessarily a fair, you know, 
that's not a good enough argument, but just recognize that conservatives go like, hey, we, we had something that's been this way for thousands of years, and now all of a sudden it's getting changed under the law. Like, where's this coming from? And we can appreciate the, the, the feelings of need, but recognize that we feel like uh, our country's going a different direction really rapidly and we're scratching our heads over it. Yeah. Um, I think legally speaking, we pitched a battle as conservatives and as Christians over definitions. And I don't think that was helpful in the sense that you're right, that there are things that don't feel fair to individuals and there's a reason why I think those tax credits or, or tax shifts are there for families. You know, in Germany, you're actually rewarded money. You're sent checks to support your children. Um, so the more children you have, and they encourage you to have more children, and they'll send you checks because they want the Germanic, you know, the, the people of the nation to grow. Okay. And, um, and there's that similar sort of incentive behind our tax law. So they're doing that in order to give incentives for growing families. Um, but it can feel very unfair to people who are partnered. Um, and, and I totally get that. And then it would come down to a conversation of what is a societal good and like what is going to help the society or the nation to continue. But I think what we're, we're getting down to again is those presuppositions over what is essentially good for a population or what is good for a country. Um, is it based on our individual um, expressions, or is it based on a societal direction? Yeah. I think conservatives have generally said kind of more societal direction, although, I mean, there's overlap, there's yeah. overlap, but I just think maybe going in different directions. So, yeah, I mean, when you say, hey, let's kind of come up with some solutions, my, my initial solution is we may have pitched some of the wrong battles. You know, we picked Pick the wrong hill to die on. Okay. And it's now, I think, biting people in the, in the rear end. Uh, <laughs> I get that. That's some yeah. of the heartbreak that I was talking about last episode that I feel from my progressive tribe is we have pitched the wrong battles in certain ways. And now there are legitimate complaints about unmet needs from the other side, the side that you're pitching the battle against. And yeah. now things are much more complicated. Yeah. Would people have felt if the laws, the specific laws under that, that are sort of inserted under the concept of marriage, if those had all been different, like if they had been more inclusive, if they had been more helpful for individuals, whether they're straight, gay, whatever, um, would that have been enough or is maybe my question back from a conservative perspective is are there limits or are there boundaries um, to the sexual expression movement? Like, like moving toward individual 
sexual expressions. Mm. Yeah, right. Um, in my 41 years of life, I've just become less and less concerned that sexuality is an important issue that I think we need to draw boundaries around. So for me, the things that come up, and I think any progressive would feel the same way, is kids. We've seen the destructiveness of kids being involved in sexuality before they're old enough. And we want to protect kids from that. And I think there's a lot of exploration that needs to be done as to what are the best boundaries there? Um, I don't actually personally know. I don't, I think it's a really complex issue, but I think, you know, progressives and conservatives can all agree that we care about kids and not subjecting them to harm through sexuality. For me, that's the only, uh, I don't know if I want to say this because maybe later on I'll think of another thing, but at the moment, that's the only thing that really concerns me about sex. The future that I want to see is one where people have sex in whatever manner they like and everything's above board. So for instance, um, I think jealousy is a real concern. If you have an agreement with somebody that you're going to be exclusive, and then you go behind their back and have sex with somebody else, that is uh, a devastating thing. And so for their, uh, that, in that area, there's a boundary that I have. But anything that's consensual and agreed upon beforehand, I say I'd like to see people explore whatever is meaningful to them and know that it's a, it's a messy issue and probably some people are going to get hurt, but I'm okay with that in other areas of life, you know, experimenting with electronics and electricity is an area where somebody is likely to get hurt. And uh, I don't have a moral objection to doing that experimenting. So if we were to, um, let's say we're not coercing, mm -hmm. we're not setting things like predetermined, um, but we were to say, hey, through experimentation, we've seen that this has a tendency to be destructive. Yeah. Is there a place for us to say, you know, as a society, we think we might not want to go that direction? Yes. So the way you phrase that, I'm definitely in favor of, and I would call that guidance. I think the tragic thing about guidance is when it does become coercive and it does become a law, because then in certain situations, the person that you, whose behavior you want to change, they might very well have been open to guidance, but they're not open to coercion. Mm -hmm. And so I would love if there were religious repositories of wisdom and maybe secular ones too. Um, maybe this is just advice you get from your teacher or your parent, but um, I think that's an essential part of human development and living together as human beings is listening to the advice and guidance of people who have gone before you. If coercion and laws were out of the picture, if, say, uh, the Catholic Church said, based on our experience, we have seen this tragedy happen as a result of this sexual behavior, and we would love for you to avoid that. 
and that was as far as it went, I think more people would be open to listening to it. But as soon as you say, I'm, I'm going to supersede your autonomy and I'm going to force you not to do this thing that from your perspective is consensual, then rage happens and rebellion happens and tragedy happens where the person might have benefited from the guidance, but they're not trusting enough to listen to the guidance at this point. Yeah. You know, as a Christian, um, you know, we, we believe that the things in the Bible have been written for our good in order to move us toward that image bearing and the, you know, the success of the role that God has made us for as human beings. And so the, the things of you should do this and you shouldn't do that are meant for our thriving. And there are kind of natural consequences that come out of us not living into those things. And so as a pastor, I, one of the things that I'm called to do is to point those things out and say, this is what the Lord is, is saying to us for our good. It's, it's not meant as a punitive, angry, malicious sort of a thing, but that it's meant for, for our good and our society's good so that we can cultivate the world around us. Yeah. The problem is that sometimes we take a really imperious tone um, and say, no, you have to do it this way. Like, if yeah. you, you know, I'm, I, I'm going to be the authority as a human and I'm going to force my will on you. Yeah. And at that point, like you said, there's, there's all kinds of rebellion. And, and honestly, there's rebellion against God. And, you know, there's, uh, you know, the, the feelings of like, who's, who is this? one, this being, or, or, you know, some people might feel contrived being, um, to tell me what to do. Yeah. And I think sometimes, um, that's approached from sort of the wrong perspective, but I also get why somebody might do that because they've had people kind of force things on them and try to coerce them rather than sitting down and, and being like a loving parent and saying, Hey, yeah. um, here's what I want to point out to you. Things are coming down the pike. There are decisions you're going to have to make and they bear very real consequences uh, depending on where you go. Yeah. I mean, I envision a future where we still have these messy disagreements and that's okay. I, the things that enrage me and my LGBT friends and family are situations where you've already said you, you are opposed to those, where somebody is getting hurt and somebody is being unfairly treated. Yeah. And uh, so that's the, those are the realities that still exist and that I still want to work to prevent, to protect the people that I'm concerned about. But um, I don't need to protect anybody from hearing a point of view that they're uncomfortable with. Hmm. Agreed. Agreed. And I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that too, because I think some conservatives have felt that there's been no room for a dissenting voice or a 
or even just saying, hey, what about this? Um, yeah, I think it's possible for us to move away from a world, uh, a country where dissenting voices have a space, and that would be that would be uh, tyrannical. That that would be an authoritarian dystopian nightmare. And I, some of the most extreme voices on the left, seem to be heading in that direction. And I'm not in favor of that. I will, I will go over to the conservative side of the battlefield if that happens. <laughs> <laughs> But, We're calling you. We're yeah. calling you. <laughs> so here's the situation that I want to change. And there is so much room for um, people of faith of all different flavors to have their views and to express their views. Meanwhile, this problem I'm about to describe is solved. So I had an experience... Um, I, I make short films sometimes with my friend and sometimes I play this character who uh, to somebody who's not, you know, hanging around with a lot of gay people would probably think, oh, this person's dressing gay. Like this has got to be a gay person because of what, what I'm wearing. Hmm. And when we've been making these short films, we've been going to certain small towns in Minnesota to get the kinds of shots that we want and be around the buildings that we want. And I have had a feeling of nervousness. Like what are people going to think about me in this town? And this is somewhat based on people's sideways glances at me. Um, if I look gay, which leads me to think, Oh my God, I'm just playing a character. What if I really was gay? And so uh, this goes for, people who appear to be gay or trans or maybe a certain race or a certain religion, I don't think it's right for there to be anywhere in the country where any person who lives in this country is more afraid for their safety because of how they look or what somebody might think of them. I am in total agreement with you. Um, I think that is a really tragic reality in our nation, not just, I, I mean, I, I want to hear that for LGBT people, okay? Thanks, yeah. But also, I, I think there are places where people are going to feel uncomfortable and maybe even like they're going to be harmed because they're not the right race for that neighborhood. Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've talked to friends who are black who have been harassed for being in a certain neighborhood. Yeah. And I've gone to neighborhoods where I kind of go, maybe I don't belong here. In fact, I, I went, to, we, we were looking at a house once in a part of North Minneapolis. And there was a lady who actually stuck her head out her window and said to my wife and I, you don't belong here. Just keep looking. Mm, yeah. And to be honest, I don't think that was her trying to be mean to us. I think she was trying to give us a warning that we might, you know, because we don't fit in yeah. uh, racially, that we might be targeted. Right. And we go, well, that's awful. But it is. I mean, it's awful yeah. on both sides, right? Yeah. It's awful on all sides. It is. And so, yeah, I I don't want that for anyone. I also wonder sometimes if we don't overemphasize, and I, I've got to be so careful with that. Like, no, there are people, there have been real 
people murdered because of being transgendered uh, or cross-dressing. Um, and we cannot turn a blind eye to that. It's, it's just unconscionable. You know, I, I lived in Mankato for a while and I had a young friend who he grew up in, in a much smaller town than Mankato. And he was worried about going into downtown Mankato and he was wondering if he needed to be armed. And having come from the Minneapolis area, uh, you know, I'm like, no, you know, like, there, <laughs> yeah. you know, you do not need to worry about that. You just don't get involved with drugs and don't, you know, don't hang around, you know, maybe some particular spots after midnight and get into altercations with people and you'll be just fine. Yeah. Um, people who are victimized because of who or what they are, that's a different animal. Uh, it's a different thing. And, and it really does happen. It, I don't think it happens as much as it once did, but that doesn't mean that it's okay. I mean, we're, I think we're heading a better direction with that, but maybe not as fast as we ought to. And this is, this is part of the conversation that I hope that both conservatives and progressives can be having is do some of our charged language, do some of the accusations we have back and forth actually also invite some of that violence back and forth from e each other? Yeah, that's a complex and, question, I think. Yeah, and, and um, I don't know. And, and it's not okay. Yeah, it's not okay on either side when someone is uh, murdered or uh, attacked physically uh, because of the way that they want to live their life or even because of the things they say. When we were first starting to talk about this, I was really wanting to hear from you that, yeah, conservatives should show up when someone, you know, let's say someone trans is murdered. Conservatives should show up and say, whoa, 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 we have our um, we have our religious disagreements about this issue, but this goes beyond that, and we won't stand for that. So I wanted to hear that, and then as, as I was checking myself, I'm not sure of specific situations from the other perspective, but I'm sure that they're there. Maybe it's uh, someone who's a, a cop who's killed or something like that, and I think that progressives should also be uh, the first person to show up and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. We have our disagreements about how, how society is run, but that is not right for somebody to be murdered right. or attacked. And I'll also say that many conservatives don't feel comfortable in showing up, not because they don't want to, but because they just don't feel welcome. Uh, yeah, um, because of their stance or their belief. And so it's very hard then to come and show that compassion. It takes a very brave individual to go, even at the risk of being ostracized or pointed out or kicked out or even being harmed back. Yeah. And so, uh, and, and I've heard of, of those situations, not, not the harm, but just the, the being rejected and saying, you're of a different sort than us. You don't belong here. 
leave. Yeah. I think that would revolutionize our relationship as people who disagree and are sharing this country. If we all showed up um, to support justice for each other when, when justice has not been served for the people we're angry with and the people we disagree with, if we can all show up and say, hey, this is a whole different thing. Um, our disagreements don't warrant somebody being attacked or being murdered. And then once we show up, we're, we're at the party and we can talk and we can cry with each other, you know, whatever it looks like. Yeah, one of the things that, that we have connected over is uh, restorative justice. Yeah. And part of restorative justice is the ability for us to go beyond just punitive um, means of uh, of correction so yeah you did this then therefore we're going to do this to you yeah but instead uh going how can we rebuild how can we build together how can we include the other viewpoint how do we make this better rather than just sort of in a sense just trying to make up for what happened yeah and I like that. I, I want that. I want us to be able to have those kinds of conversations. And yeah, I'd love to see conservatives showing up when someone has been harmed or when there's a need within the LGBTQ community, you know? And I would love to see LGBT folks showing up for conservative needs too. Yeah. You know, I would too. um, I remember that I think we all were told that um, that saying, and I don't remember who wrote it at this point, um, but it was somebody during the Holocaust. And it went something along the lines of they, they first came for the Jews and I didn't speak out because I wasn't a Jew. And then they, um, they came for the trade unionists and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a trade un unionist. And then they came for the Catholics and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a Catholic. And then they came for me and there was nobody left to speak up. Yeah. Yeah. I love that expression. That gives me chills whenever I hear it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, like you, I can't remember who it was that penned it, but. Uh, thanks, Marshall, just for this opportunity to get together and talk again about a really important and charged issue. Yeah, thank you. I just would encourage our listeners, even if you've heard things that are frustrating to you or maybe you disagree with or you feel hurt by, um, please engage in goodwill. Um, send us comments, questions. Um, let us know how you're thinking and feeling about these things. Yeah. Um, we may not all agree on things, but uh, let's have conversations in goodwill. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, always a pleasure, Steve. And we'll Same. talk next week. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye.